And if you're staying here, if you turn to Psalm 84, in the Church Bibles, that's page 594, or in the large print, 922. And if you can't find it, open your Bible in the middle, you'll read Psalms somehow, and then go to number 84. I wonder how you felt this morning when you were coming to church. Did you come with a real longing to be in the presence of God? It's a rhetorical question, you don't need to shout out the answer, but what was your experience this morning? What about when you wake up any morning? Do you wake up with the Lord in your mind and thinking, I want to be with the Lord, I want to dwell in his presence, I want to spend time with my Saviour? Well, the experience of Psalm 84, the experience of the sons of Korah, should be our experience too. God should be, as we looked at last Sunday evening, our greatest treasure. And if he is, we will long to be with him. Well, let's see how this plays out in in Psalm 84. I'm going to read uh, the whole of this psalm, and we'll see how the sons of Korah felt about being in God's presence. It's from the director of music, according to Gittif, of the sons of Korah, a psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Now there are three streams, if you like, to this this psalm. First of all, there's the context of the Old Testament, where God dwelt in a physical place called the temple or the tabernacle. And these uh, people writing this psalm talk about a pilgrimage. So if you didn't live by the temple, you would make pilgrimage to the temple, to the dwelling place of God. But in the New Testament, we looked at this at Christmas time, where does God dwell? Well, John chapter 1 and verse 14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus is the Word, and the Colossians tells us all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. So in the New Testament context, God dwells in the person of Jesus. But Jesus, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he sent the Holy Spirit. And in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, we read that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God, in the New Testament, dwells in his people, in you and in, in me. And the temple of God is the people of God, and he dwells with us individually, but we read that he dwells with us as a body. So God dwells in his people, plural, as in the church. And at the same time, we know, although God dwells with us, we know we need more of God's presence, don't we? And we can all say in our individual lives, we've had times where we have known the presence of God with us. If you read church history, you'll see that there's been times when God's presence has been there in such a way that there's been revival and salvation has come in a a massive way. But there's a, a third context as well, and that's the future. Because we know that although God dwells with us now, as good as it can be now, it's not what it will be in heaven. So we long, as we were just singing, to be where the praise is never-ending. We long to be in heaven, where we'll dwell with God fully forever. And we're on a pilgrimage, if you like, to there, aren't we? We're, we're going on our way to heaven. We're, we're not there yet, but we will be as God's people. So there's a, a now and a not yet about this psalm. And in all of these cases, there is a time of absence and then a pilgrimage to the dwelling place of God where we can be in his presence, both for the Old Testament people, for us as New Testament Christians, and of course on our way to be with God in heaven. And of course we can apply this to us both in terms of God's presence now and in sense of longing for God's presence in heaven. But what does God's presence mean? What is this dwelling place? What am I talking about? Well, the presence of God for us is is the Holy Spirit at work in our lives in such a way that we are assured of God being with us. We're more excited about the things of Christ than anything else. We can't help but speak of Jesus. We're people of prayer who, who love to pray together. We see God working, growing our faith, and we see God using us in ministry. John Owen, the Puritan in Communion with God, says it's a, a sense of his sweetness and excellence. A felt, it's a felt presence that results in active worship and, and service. Now, who here can put the hand up and say, yes, I'm there. I have that all the time. I know what this means. Well, we should have some experience of it, but don't we ever feel the the absence sometimes? But the first thing we see in this psalm is how we should be longing for that presence. Christians should be longing for the presence of God. Why? Well, verse 1 tells us why. (laughs) Because it's lovely. How lovely is your dwelling place? It's lovely. These psalmists 
knew what it was to dwell in the presence of God. And they knew it was lovely. That's what we were uh, talking about at the beginning. We focus on Jesus and we are thankful. We have God as our vision. And we look at him and we think, wow, he's lovely. In uh, Song of Songs, he's altogether lovely. Altogether lovely. And there's two types of people that are here this morning. There are those who know what it is to dwell in God's presence. We've been there. And there's those who have never dwelt in God's presence at all. And this morning, I want us to all know what it is to dwell in God's presence. To know that it is lovely. These uh, psalmists, these sons of Korah at this time, it seems they're far from God. But they know that it's lovely. They look and they say, it's lovely. Your dwelling place is lovely. They remember. Well, how do we know? How do we remember? Well, first of all, we can see through the scriptures that God is, his dwelling place is lovely. If you read of uh, characters like Moses, he dwelt face to face with God as a friend. His face was shining from the presence of God. We're reading Revelation at the moment, as Tim's taken us through it in the mornings. We see John's vision of Jesus. And it's, it's amazing, isn't it? It's awesome. How lovely is your dwelling place? We can read all through the scriptures and we can say, this is lovely. This is lovely. But we also know, don't we, from our own past experiences, our testimonies, if we're here and we're Christians, there has to have been a time when we can look at and say, yes, I knew, I knew God's presence there. Perhaps it was a time of suffering. Perhaps it was a time of great blessing. Perhaps it was the time of your conversion where you can look back and you can say, yes, God, he was dwelling with me. It was lovely. How do we long for God's presence? We we remember, don't we? We remember who he is. We remember what he's done for us in Christ. We remember what he's done through us. And we can say, how lovely is your dwelling place. And then we, when we remember it and we think about it, we experience verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. He faints for it. How many of you woke up this morning and almost fainted to come into the presence of God? I'm not saying we should all you know, fall, out, fall down fainting, but surely our hearts should be crying out in this way, shouldn't they? Shouldn't we be longing and yearning and just wanting to be in God's presence? The heart and the flesh crying out that it's the whole inner and outer being crying out for the living God. And the longing is not for the courts themselves, it's for God. It's for God himself. Like a child who cries out to his parents for food. We cry out to God for living bread. We long, we yearn, we get hungry, don't we? And we cry out to God, Lord, feed me with your living bread. Our hearts yearn, even faint. I know this perhaps doesn't sound... Uh, a very English thing to do, but I was reading recently uh, Preaching and Preachers by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said, uh, the Englishman, we are told, is phlegmatic and doesn't get excited. 
He's not easily moved and he's not mercurial like the Celts and the Latin races. Though this does not appear to be true in the realm of football, he says. And I was thinking about this. You know, when we're watching a football game or a sports game and you're longing for your team to score a goal, there is a longing, isn't there? There's a yearning. (laughs) For many people in the Midlands, at least, there's a crying, literally, isn't there? But we should be crying out for God's presence, shouldn't we? Our greatest passion should be Jesus. We should be longing for him more than we long for a goal at football or for anything else. Our hearts and our flesh should cry out for the living God. Is God your greatest treasure? The one you want so much more than anything else that your heart and your flesh cry out for God? This passion continues in verse 3, and it continues with envy. He says, even the sparrow has found uh, a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. In the authorized, it says, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. He's saying even, that even the swallow can be in your altars, it can be in your presence. And the, the, the sparrow and the swallow were the most undistinguished of birds. It's not like he's saying the eagle... And he's saying, even those birds, even they can dwell in your presence. The psalmist is is jealous because he feels so far and these little insignificant birds seem so close. And of course, we read about the the, the sparrow in the New Testament, don't we? Two sparrows are sold for a penny and we are of much more value than they. If God cares for the sparrow, if the sparrow can build a nest in the house of the Lord, then how much more can we who we can say, my king and my God can dwell in his presence. In a sense, although we don't necessarily look at sparrows and think about God's presence, we can certainly look at other Christians sometimes and we can think, oh, I wish I had a bit of what they had. We heard that last Sunday night, didn't we? Where Tim encouraged us to go and meet another Christian who you see is excited about the things of God and try and catch some of what they have. We should be encouraging each other in that way. Seeing other people walk closely with God should give us a godly envy. Not an envy in a bad way, but I I, I want what they have. The world should look at us with that envy and say, I want what they have. And verse 4 also should, should spur us on. It says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are they who dwell. Notice that word, dwell. Not blessed are they who rush, but those who dwell, those who stay, those who are waiting, those who, if you're dwelling, you're you're making your home, aren't you? But we live in a world that's so rushed, don't we? Our culture is so uh, immediate, but the psalmist talks of dwelling, we can rush in and out of God's presence when we, when we pray. Now, the average time, I was reading quite recently, for the average amount of time a Christian spends in prayer each day is five minutes. Five minutes a day. We rush in, we rush out. And we can do that with church, can't we? We can rush in, we can rush out. But blessed is though, are those who dwell, who dwell Uh, There's a a wonderful book on prayer. It's a hard read uh, by E.M. Bounds. And he wrote loads of books on prayer, but there's a a body of them called The Complete Works of E.M. Bounds on Prayer. And he says, 
Short devotions are the bane of deep piety. To be little with God is to be little for God. To be little with God is to be little for God. Blessed are they who dwell, not rush, who dwell in the presence of God, in in God's house. Those who dwell with God will naturally praise God. Paul always tells me uh, from growing up, her parents used to say, or she said it, you become like the people you live with. And it's true, (laughs) scarily so. But if you dwell with God, if you dwell with God, then praise to God will be a natural thing. Even, Even in times of great despair, when we dwell with God, we can praise his name. We can rejoice in the Lord always. Are you longing for God's presence? How do we do that? Well, we engage with God, don't we? We do the basics. We surely open our Bibles and engage with Jesus. We meet Jesus there. We remember what God has done. And we thank him. And we praise him. We open our Bibles and we get a vision of who he is. And we say, what is man that you are mindful of them? And we praise him that he is mindful of us and he has saved us. We meet with other Christians who praise God themselves. There's other things we can do. There's fasting and prayer and and, and all those kind of things. Engage with God. Engage with him. Long for him. Christians should be longing to be in God's presence. And remember, in an instant world... God is never in a hurry. God isn't in a hurry. And neither should we. We should dwell in the presence of God. We should be longing for him. And as we move uh, towards heaven, the next part of the psalm tells us how we should be hoping in God's presence. Because as we long for God here on earth, it's but a taste of the glory to come. A taste. Because we should be longing to be in heaven where God is. After verse 4, in uh, some versions it has the phrase uh, Selah, which is a pause in the psalm. And it's a a slight change of focus here. And the focus uh, of the psalmist goes uh, from longing to actually going. Going on the journey. Longing uh, from gone from longing to be in God's presence to going there, to this pilgrimage. When the sons of Korah were away, they would make pilgrimages back to the temple in Jerusalem. And they could do this in verse 5 because of God's strength. Look at verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Notice the, the two parts here. Our strength is in God and our hearts are set. So there's two parts. There's God who gives us the strength but not so that we can just sit around and wait for him to come to us. It's so that our hearts can be set on the pilgrimage. Our hearts, it's a heart issue, isn't it? Our hearts need to be set on dwelling with God. Our hearts need to be desiring to meet with God so that we go. Our hearts should be set on moving closer to God both now and our hearts should be set on heaven. Oh, how our our worship can be so half-hearted, can't it? If our energies aren't engaged in our singing and in our praying, 
Is it any wonder we're not longing? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not half your heart, with all your heart. And when God gives us strength, and our hearts are set on pilgrimage, look what happens in verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. The, uh, Baca is another word for weeping. They go through the valley of weeping. And as they go on their pilgrimage, there were times where there was dry valleys and arid landscapes, and it was hard. It was a place of weeping. But what did they do? They, they made, it says here, uh, springs. In the authorised it says wells. They, they make wells. And the rains cover it with pools. Notice again the two parts here. They make the wells, but God brings the rain. So as they're going through this valley of weeping, as the, the pilgrimage is tough, as the Christian life is hard, they have wells that they can stop at and drink. And that's why they made the wells. The journey was tough. It was hot and, and, and humid and all those kind of things. And they would stop at the wells and they would drink of the water so they could carry on with the journey. And there were times when it would just rain. And of course, that's from the Lord, isn't it? The Lord brought the rain that filled up the pool so they could have refreshment. And in our valley of Baca, in our times of weeping, in our times of struggle, as, our, as we go on our pilgrimage in our Christian lives, we need to stop and drink at the wells. We need to be refreshed by the rain that God sends. Well, what are the blessings in this valley? Well, there's, there's joy of forgiveness of sin. We need to remind ourselves, because sin often leads us to despair, doesn't it? We, we, we think of our past sins, things that we've done and we're ashamed of, and can lead us to despair, but oh, to remember that the Lord has forgiven our sin. It's placed on Jesus. I bear it no more. We praise the Lord, don't we? We praise the Lord that we are forgiven of sin. That's a, that's a well in the valley, isn't it, that we can drink from. There's the love of God that surrounds us in our time of need. It's a refreshing rain, isn't it, when we, we think of how God loves us. He sends the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter. And he's felt often, is he not, in times of trouble. There's the fruits of the discipline of God. Stronger faith, deeper humility. There reigns refreshing us from God. And as we go through the valley, isn't there a greater longing for the, the not yet, the heaven that we're going to? There's a greater hope, isn't there? A greater longing to be where the praise is never ending. God rains these blessings down. But we have to take the time to make the wells too. To stop and remember. Verse 7 shows us their hope. Look at their, their hope in verse 7. How do they keep going? They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. This, brothers and sisters, is a wonderful, wonderful verse. They go from strength to strength. As they go through this valley of weeping, they go from strength to strength. Till when? Till each appears before God in Zion. We can go from strength to strength because we know that God isn't going to let anyone go. Each appears before God. Every one of us, as we go through this valley, appear before God in Zion. Everyone. God doesn't let any of them go. 
And in fact, as we go through the valley, we go through it stronger, not weaker, from strength to strength. In the New Testament, from glory to glory. And we'll sing at the end, till in heaven we take our place and cast our crowns before thee. Lost in wonder. It's amazing, isn't it, that we can go through the worst and most difficult of times from strength to strength because we know, we have the hope that every one of God's people will appear before him in Zion. Everyone. Everyone. It's a wonderful, wonderful verse because God is with us in the valley and he gives us hope to carry on. Now that, brothers and sisters, is a well worth drinking from, isn't it? We can drink from that well I can drink and say, I know God is with me. I can drink and I can say, I know I'm going to reach the other side because God doesn't lose any. Each one appears before him in Zion. Whatever situation you're facing this morning, take and drink of this well, that God is bringing you to glory. And whatever the situation is, we can say hallelujah because God doesn't let anyone go. But although we have hope for the future, this psalm shows us how we can live right now in God's presence. Christians should be dwelling in God's presence. So how do I come there? Because at this point in the psalm, the sons of Korah themselves appear to be arriving in God's dwelling place. But before they arrive there, something happens. Look at verses 8 and 9. I will listen. No, it's the wrong psalm, sorry. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. When it talks of the shield here, it's referring to the king of Israel. Unless God looks on the king of Israel with favor there is no place for the sons of Korah to go and worship because the temple can be destroyed. And of course, we know from our Old Testament history, that's what happened. In the end, the kings of Judah rejected God and King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and destroyed the temple, raised it. It was gone. There was no dwelling place there anymore. And so the psalmist says... Hear my prayer, Lord Almighty. I love it how it says, Lord Almighty and God of Jacob. Because Lord Almighty, or Lord of hosts, tells us of the awesomeness of God. But he's also the God of Jacob, who is a scoundrel. Almighty God is the God of Jacob. Almighty God is my God, because I'm a scoundrel too. The Bible tells me that. So I can pray to my God, although I'm a sinner. Why? Because he has looked on his anointed one. Not King David, but Jesus. Jesus is the anointed one. What does Christ mean? It's not a surname. It's not a swear word. It means anointed one. And God looked on Jesus with favor. He said, this is my son whom I love. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him, he said. He looked on favor on his anointed one, on Christ. And this is the good news, friends. Because he looked on Christ, we can have forgiveness of sin. Because he looked on favor, with favor on his anointed son, my sin is placed on his son, and I can be forgiven of it all. As we sing in the 
him, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I can dwell in the presence of God because Jesus paid for my sin. He has looked on his anointed one with favor. And I praise God that he did. And because he looked at his anointed one with favor, he looks at me with favor when I place my trust in him. And as verse 8 says, we need to pray over this. He, they pray to the Lord Almighty. We pray for forgiveness of sin through Jesus. And we pray continually that God would purify us, that sin would be gone, that we would not love sin, that we would love Jesus. We've looked at these uh, this in Joshua 7 with the sin of Achan, how God's presence was removed because of sin in the camp. We read in Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. We've got to keep, dealing, we've got to keep uh, cutting out sin, dealing with sin, but we can do so because it's placed on Jesus. He looked with favor on his anointed And when we have sin dealt with, when it's forgiven by Jesus, and as we live for him and his glory, we come to verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Is this your experience? Can you honestly say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere? Or is it like in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 3 when they they felt God's uh, worship was a burden? A burden, they said. Can you say that it's better to be in God's, uh, God's courts for one day than a thousand elsewhere? Or would you rather say, well... God's courts are okay, but I'd much rather watch TV or stay in bed or surf the internet or whatever. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. Of course not. But compared to God, compared to God, can you say that it's better to be in God's courts than any of those things, than anywhere else? Some of us struggle to be one hour in church, don't we? But they're saying a day in the courts of the Lord. Maybe some of us are uncomfortable with this. Good. (laughs) Because it's true. If we experience God's dwelling place, if we know what it is to be in God's presence, we can say, yes, I know it is better to be in your courts. One of my uh, good friends from when I lived in Devon was a pastor called John Gillespie and he says that we can be so content, uh, so content with such a low level of Christian living that when we see someone moving on with God we just think they're weird. We need a godly desire, don't we? We should want to be with the Lord. Well, what are the sources of delight in God's house? What makes it better? Why is God's house better than anywhere else? Well, in God's house, we we, we have praise and rejoicing, don't we? When we're praising God from our hearts, what a joy that is. When we have true communion with God, when we are really deep with God in prayer, what a joy that is. 
when we have true godly Christian fellowship with God's people, where we can talk of Christ, what a joy that that can be. What joy there is in service for God's kingdom. What joy there are in those things. And if we're doing them as we ought to, and we're longing for God's presence, and we're focusing on Jesus, we can say from our hearts, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And you can say with the the psalmist that even being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord is better than all that the, the world's riches. Even a doorkeeper. The sons of Korah knew this. It was their job. They were the doorkeepers. And they realized the joy of being a doorkeeper. You know, friends, church should not be about jostling for position. We should be overjoyed at just being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Because even that is better than being anywhere else in the world, the psalmist says here. And we can believe this because there's true freedom, isn't there, in serving the Lord. It's completely countercultural, but there's true freedom in serving the Lord. Indeed, Christ said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Only a Christian can say that being a doorkeeper is better than anywhere else. And notice as well where they are. They dwell in God's house rather than the tents of the wicked. Notice the difference. God is a house. Wickedness is a tent. The tents are temporary. Those of you that have ever been camping know that tents, they stay up a little bit, but eventually they come down, either by the weather or you take them up. They're temporary dwellings. But God's is a house. And the tents of wickedness are temporary. But the devil lies to us and tells us they're better than God's house. It's a despicable lie, but we fall for it all the time, don't we? And verse 11 describes the blessings of being in God's presence. It says, that this is the reason, it starts with the word for. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. So he is a sun. The sun gives light. The sun gives heat. The sun is, 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 a bla- is blazing in glory. You can't look at the sun for too long for going blind. And for us, God gives us light. He shows us the way. He gives us heat. We feel the warmth on our backs of the Lord's uh, favor. And of course, when we look at God, we see him in his glory and he shows us our sin. The Lord is a sun. But praise God, he's a shield. Shield is, is protection, isn't it? We read in our prayer meeting this morning, Psalm 23, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He is a protection. He is a shield. The sun shows my sinfulness. The shield shows my power to oppose it through Christ who gives me strength. He looks on us with favor. In other words, he he doesn't count our sins against us. They're placed on Christ. He looks at us with honor. In the New Testament, we're called sons of God, a place of honor where we inherit all the blessings of heaven. He looks at us with favor and honor. And no good thing does he withhold. No good thing does he withhold. Now, in part, that's physical things. If they're deemed good for us, we have to adjust sometimes our idea of what we think is good. But God always gives us what is good. But really, aren't those good things the spiritual blessings of peace, of contentment, of joy, of the Holy Spirit. 
The, ri- the spiritual riches. They're glorious, aren't they? They're wonderful. No good thing does he withhold. Who does he not withhold it from? From those whose walk is blameless. And if we are Christians here this morning, we are blameless because Christ has taken our sin and given us his righteousness and Satan, the accuser, can go to God and say, well, look at what they're doing. And God says, no, I look at Jesus. He has forgiven their sin. It is finished. It is done. We are blameless. So we can have all these blessings. And there's so much more to be had with the all-surpassing riches of God. The final verse is so true, is it not? Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. What a blessing. What a blessing to trust in Jesus. How true this is. May this be our longing. Let us long to dwell in God's presence. Let us engage with our God. Let us be crying out for God to show us his glory. Let us not be satisfied with the nibbles, as uh, Piper puts it, of the table of this world, when we can feast on the all-surpassing riches of God. Let us not be sold the lie that engaging with God is somehow boring. Let us desire to dwell in the presence of God. There is no greater place. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. It's better to be in the the house of God than in the tents of wickedness. And the wonder is we'll be in God's house forever. Let us long for our prayer meetings to be full. Let us long for God to come down and revive our hearts. Let us long to talk of Jesus with each other. Let us long that the world would look at us and want what we have because we're full of the presence of God. May God forgive our hard hearts and our dry eyes and our old faith and our cold prayers. May he fill us with his Holy Spirit that we could live for his glory. Oh, brothers and sisters, if nothing else, I pray that we would long for that this morning, that we would long to dwell in God's presence. We're going to sing to close. I said that in order for us to be able to dwell in God's presence, we need to focus on God. And our final hymn focuses on the love that God has shown us. Love divine or love's excelling. Let's stand and let's sing as we close. <laughs>